How are you traveling today? Uh, you said, "Am I traveling today?" How are you traveling? Uh, that's maybe oh, that's the how, Aussie way of saying it. How are you going? Yeah. How are you feeling? <laughs> how am I traveling? Uh, that's a good question. I think pretty good for a redhead. Welcome back to What You'll Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. My name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed J.P. Sears, the author of How to Be Ultra Spiritual. So you've probably seen him uh, around Facebook or YouTube, does, uh, does a lot of sort of comedy, satirical gags, sort of almost uh, taking the piss out of you know, people who are you know, yoga masters yeah. and people who are vegans. And <laughs> <laughs> so they're funny videos, but under all that, there's uh, some serious stuff as well. Yeah, so he gets, I think, like tens of millions of... Oh, yeah views at least so i think it was the first episode where it was a podcast slash coaching session <laughs> yeah he throws some stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know shit. But then, um, yeah so we thought this is a good way to release this one as a bonus episode during the week as yeah. we're releasing the power of now another ultra spiritual yeah. kind of book <laughs> yeah exactly i love it if you uh, if you haven't seen jp before check him out all over social media his handle is awaken with jp yeah mate are you feeling a little bit more awakened Oh, man, I'm, 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 I'm fucking yeah, awake. You're awake? I'm fucking awake. <laughs> Fuck yeah, JP, Tom. JP. Yeah, who is JP? He's probably a delusional redhead who's trying to figure out who he is. And he's he's a nice guy. He's got majestic blue dolphin-like eyes. So that's, that's important to comprehend about this person who's trying to comprehend himself. <laughs> And some of the things that JP does, um, if I can switch to the first person so I <laughs> sound a little less schizophrenic, I, you know, I, I make comedy videos, I do emotional healing work with people, I've I got a book that just hit the stands uh, recently, I do speaking and performing at live shows, and uh yeah, and I do consider myself a curious student of life. I'm, I really am interested in discovering who, you know, more of who I am and what life's about rather than just reinforcing my delusional senses of certainty that are based on who I think I am and what I think life is. So I do my best to be curious rather than uh, certain. Yeah. So before you made these all these awesome videos on Facebook and YouTube, what what were you doing before then? Before you became this internet sensation? Yeah, I was just stealing lunch money from school <laughs> children, which is it's kind of a crap job because they don't carry much money, uh, and after a while you start to get spotted. <laughs> so before before I even had you know my first comedy video. Uh, hit YouTube. I'd been doing emotional healing coaching work with uh, clients as well as teaching class classes, workshops, and retreats around the world. Been doing that for 13 years before I made my first comedy videos. So, in my opinion, that's very meaningful work. Uh, you know, very meaningful. I I love it, and um, also it gave me quite uh, an education in the subtle workings of the human psyche. Yeah. Mm. Now, I must admit, before the uh, early this year, the, the book came out and then I started listening to you on uh, different um, podcast interviews. I thought you were just a, a comedy guy. And then I realized there was all this, um, I guess, uh, deeper stuff behind the scenes. And what does emotional healing involve? Um, what, yeah, what does that mean? 
Yeah, it's, in my opinion, it's incredibly simple. It basically means we feel our feelings. And, like, you can make it fancier. You can make, you could stretch that out to, like, six years and become a PhD or a doctor. But really what it comes down to is feeling your feelings. Mm -hmm. And as an emotional healing coach, it's a matter of similar to, like, a mountain guide, you know, doesn't climb the mountain for the, the people Uh, But they guide them. So as a coach, it's a process of helping a person uh, connect to feelings. And typically, I mean, we all we're all incredibly emotionally constipated. So a lot of emotional healing work isn't really a matter of like, let me let me process what's happening right now. And a lot of times it's like, let me like process and digest the backlog of emotions that I carry from 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, being vulnerable is another way of saying the same thing that I've already said twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I will say I find it absolutely fascinating that in our society, by the way, I think anytime someone says the words in our society, what they're going to say after those words is incredibly useless because it's just like so obvious. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to be the blunt of my own pet peeves here for a second. I think in our society, it's hilarious in a scary kind of way, kind of like creepy clown, scary, hilarious, that we'll go through, I don't know what it is, like 12 years of primary education that is primarily left brain, logical education, and we have close to zero hours of emotional education. And and I think like our emotions are one of the most powerful forces of nature we'll ever experience, let alone it's like sort of a pretty influential aspect of our lives. So as basic as it sounds like feel your feelings and you'll be emotionally well, we are incredibly uneducated and incredibly unexperienced uh, in that, uh, the realm of doing something so simple. It's like nobody really needs to get an education on how to poop. It's like our <laughs> digestive, I guess when we potty train kids, it's kind of like, but our digestive system, like it just functions naturally and we allow it to happen. But our emotional system, we've just created a lot of horrendous blockages for mm-hmm. it so we we have to be adults relearning how to poop emotionally and this is the, <laughs> the analogy i'm working on <laughs> there's been a few a few poop references and when you said constipate uh, emotional constipation i guess i was just thinking you're are you dropping in uh, emotional laxatives is that is that sort of what you're doing? <laughs> it's a good question. I think in this analogy, no, like an emotional laxative to me, that's not getting to the root cause. It's more like treating a symptom. So, mm. you know, whatever, taking magic mushrooms might yeah. be more of an emotional laxative. It's not necessarily going to teach you how to have good digestion, but it might relieve you in the moment. Nice. So I like that. Yeah. 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 So Te- yeah. teaching people how to sit on a toilet. <laughs> And open their anus. <laughs> that's that's the most elegant description yeah. of like, the emotional you do, yeah. work I've done. Phenomenal. So, how do we get to the root cause of our mm. say our emotional blockages? Do we need to go out and find a coach, or is there a much easier way of doing it? You think? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think it depends on how blocked we are. When, mm. you know, first off, I think a lot of times the our root of emotional blockages, like it's it's just super unconscious. It's not obvious. If it was obvious, we've probably we probably would have done something about it. So we tend to develop like symptoms of the deeper root cause, and those symptoms might be reoccurring patterns of self-sabotage, distress, unhappiness, relationships are crap, we think the world's out to get us. And and I think when we are sort of in a cycle where there's, wow, there's been a lot of repetitions of these repetitive patterns of challenge, that probably means... Um, uh, we're a better candidate for a coach. It probably means the the wound is much more hidden than what we can find with our own eyes. So by no means would I advocate people become codependent and like, oh, you need a coach. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you have two legs. Don't walk on crutches unless you need them. But if you've got a sprained knee, then use a crutch for a little while as long as it serves you. So I personally have mm-hmm. used coaches a lot in my life. So I, and, you know, I've been a coach in my uh, career up in, you know, I guess I still do coaching in some ways, not one-on-one, but so I am biased, but nonetheless, <laughs> I, I do have a lot of respect for what coaches can do. And I have a ton of respect for what humans can do via their own innate intelligence when we remove what blocks us from allowing our innate intelligence to express itself. Mm. Nice. I think with all things like uh, like this, so you're you're sort of in the emotional healing. I think it works with uh, anyone doing other personal development books or business books or anything along those lines. There's the message and there's the the messenger. Uh, and some people say that the messenger doesn't matter. It's all about the message. Whereas um, I'd probably suggest I don't know. I'll ask if you agree with this that that having that messenger there to carry the message is also vitally important. So how how do you think that relates? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I consider it incredibly important. I think the messenger is at least 50% of the equation mm-hmm. because, like, the message, it's, like, awesome. That's great information. It really is. And, like, we need that, like, whatever the message is. But there's a reason why textbooks can take us only so far, textbooks about mm-hmm. whatever it is. And and I think, you know, the reason why we can't heal our lives and enhance our lives and find amazing inner fulfillment and success through textbooks is because that's just the information. It's just the message. But it doesn't necessarily make it permeable and digestible and assimilatable, if that's even a word. It's just <laughs> kind of like we can eat a food that inherently has a lot of nutrients, but that absolutely does not mean we're going to absorb the nutrients in that food. Mm. We have to be curious, like, how good is my digestion? Are there, like, phytates in the food, like in nuts? Like, nuts give me horrendous gas because there's phytates in them. I can't break them down. Therefore, there's a lot of nutrition in nuts that I don't get. Mm. So the messenger, in my opinion, is incredibly important. I think especially when it's messages of the human heart, soul, and psyche, the messenger becomes way more important because people can connect to the messenger, not the message. They can digest the message, but they it's like an infant uh, can't digest the breast milk unless it connects to its mother to suckle it out first. So in this analogy, it's like a day of analogies. <laughs> in this analogy, 
uh, when we're the messenger, we're the nipple that allows the <laughs> infant of yeah. our audience to to connect to so that the message of the breast milk can come through. Man, I like this analogy. <laughs> never not, thought, you this. this is gold. This is that's gold. It. <laughs> that's it. So the message so, yeah. of the breast milk, you're the nipple that's injecting the, uh, the, the milk. And I like the, that. And the milk's the message. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, I have some... You know, some I, I sometimes I hear people talk about like, oh, you know, I want to put myself out there as some kind of coach or teacher, but everything's already been said. It's like, yeah, no crap, everything's been said, but it hasn't mm. been said your way. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been said through the messenger of you. And there's people who will be a great fit to connect with you, yeah. who are a terrible fit to connect with messengers before you. So I have a lot of respect for the messenger and and a lot of religions whether we think they're a great religion or a screwed up religion uh religions are littered with messengers you know the they jesus he's he's like a freaking messenger he's a middleman but probably an important one buddha he's a freaking messenger mm. uh and a very important one mm. nice I'll, and you, i heard on a podcast recently that uh you talked about to, in order to thrive, not just survive through life, we need to step outside our, our comfort zone. That's something uh, Adam Jones likes to talk about as well, getting outside your comfort zone. Uh, what does that mean for you or for maybe some an action that a, a listener could take in terms of getting outside their comfort zone? Yeah, doing something you've never done. Saying yes to an opportunity or a challenge that you've never done. Like, it's easy to say yes to stuff that we have a sense of certainty. Like, yeah, I can do that. Mm. Let alone I can probably do it well. I know what to expect. But we don't grow from that. It's just like if some if you go to the gym and you bench press uh, 80 kilos for 10 reps, then the next time you go to the gym, you bench press 80 kilos for 10 reps. And then the next year, all your workouts are comprised of bench pressing 80 kilos for 10 reps we realize like we actually don't get stronger from that mm-hmm. we'll maintain where we're at uh, so for the idea of growth we have to challenge ourselves you know putting you know 10 more kilos on the bar mm-hmm. creates a new challenge and uh, it's physiologically uncomfortable like it breaks more muscle tissue down so if we want to grow and i, I by grow like that's a super ambiguous term by grow, I really mean grow our degree of inner fulfillment and genuine satisfaction in life, then I think that means we paradoxically have to embrace discomfort. And nobody will push us into discomfort, in my opinion. We don't have the mama bird that will push us the hell out of our nest, of our the coffin of our comfort zone when we've been sitting in it, uh, even though it's working against us. We've been sitting in it for years. So we don't have that mother bird. We have to be our own mother bird and learn how to say yes to things that scare us. I think there's a this trick we play on ourselves where we believe when we're scared we're going to die. But, you know, unless our logical discernment says, like, yeah, jumping into that crocodile pen, that could kill me, then 99.9% of the things that scare us in life absolutely won't kill us. So we have to realize just because it scares us to death, it probably won't kill us. Paradoxically, it's probably going to be what enlivens us Mm -hmm. and makes our life feel more meaningful and worth living. So, you know, I, 
I think it's important to embrace discomfort physically, you know, like exercise and physical challenges are a part of that. But psychologically, yes. It's like when we're afraid of public speaking, we've got to public speak. When we're afraid of starting a business, it's like, yeah, okay, don't worship your fear by bowing down to it. Feel your fear, but take action anyway. So when we go into a realm of discomfort that challenges us but doesn't overwhelm us, we're on the track of growth. Mm. I think the point is to challenge, not overwhelm. Overwhelm means, okay, I can bench press 100 kilos for 10 reps, but now I put 300 kilos on the bar. Well, that's just going to break our rib cage. Mm. We need to go from 100 kilos to like 105 kilos Mm. with our discomfort challenges itself, in my opinion. Yeah. So when you... Just before you got into your videos, was that considered uncomfortable for you moving into making these new com- comedic videos and then putting it them out to your network? Was that a challenge at the yeah. time for you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, and what created most of the discomfort was like the yeah, call it the inner critic inside my mind. It it, it was scary. Mm. My inner critic was telling me this is going to be terrible for business. It'll discredit you as like an emotional healing coach, spiritual teacher. And on top of that, it probably won't be funny. So like all of that, <laughs> that's like, well, that's a, that's a little intimidating. But, but I had to do it anyway. And I think the reason why I had to do it is I had been repressing it for so long. I don't know how long, but a long time. You know, for the first 13 years of my career, I didn't let my sense of humor come out publicly. So probably 13 years of constipation (laughs) means, wow, I am uncomfortable enough trying to avoid the discomfort that I imagine will happen that now it's just, it's relatively less uncomfortable to go into the discomfort of expressing what wants to live through me through the comedic videos. And um, yeah, and I won't pretend that the discomfort went away uh, releasing the first video. In fact, the discomfort still hasn't gone away. Mm. I think I'm just better and quicker at saying yes to the ideas and execution that scare me. In fact, to me, what I've it's like I've developed a muscle called excitement. So now when I have an idea that scares me, I'm also excited. It's like a seasoned skydiver. Like the reason why they jump out of a plane hundreds of times is like it, it scares them, but they have a sense of excitement about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's scary, but it's not phobic when we can have a sense of excitement, as well as when we teach ourselves by going further and further outside of our comfort zone, we learn like what I'm afraid of won't kill me. What scares me to death won't kill me, even though my imagination probably thinks it will. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, was, I was thinking of, uh, of shifting towards the your book now. So your book was, I guess, similar to your videos, a little satirical, uh, um, plenty of uh, sarcasm and gags in there, which was awesome. But also, I guess, uh, hidden within that was some, some core um, key messages, key takeaways for people. Um, so I think one of the, one of the main ones was uh, let go of that which served us, but no longer serves us. Um, so can you perhaps explain what, uh, what that means? Yeah, so that's that's a, certainly a message I, I've intended to embed in the comedy of the book. So the idea of uh, let go of that which served you that no longer serves you has a lot to do with, I think, our beliefs and who we think we are. So I, I believe there is incredibly 
little correlation with who we are and who we think we are. So, yeah, we all have beliefs of self, and I dare say they serve us when we adopt them. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was three years old, I thought I, who I am is my mommy's little boy. Mm-hmm. That, that's who I am. And if I didn't, I mean, that's kind of an easy one to let go of. But if I didn't let go of that, like I'd be 36 still functioning <laughs> as a three-year-old mama's boy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it served me awesomely when I was three doesn't serve me when I'm 36. Yeah. And then, you know, that that's obviously a very easy example, but I think other examples of things we adopt that serve us once upon a time, but probably have a shelf life mm-hmm. would be what we do to grow ourselves, to heal ourselves, because a strategy that we use to grow ourselves guess what? If it works, it's going to make us grow, which if we do the math, that means eventually we're going to outgrow it. It's like, you know, being in grade five serves us well, but we freaking outgrow that after two or three years of being in grade five. (laughs) (laughs) I think I mastered that. (laughs) But it's comfortable being in grade five. We've mastered the material. So it can be very tempting to stay attached to mm. what served us while we still think that it's serving us because we're stuck in the past because mm-hmm. it did serve us. So we still think it does. So it's like if we're in the middle of the ocean with a life preserver, you know, stormy seas, ship goes down. Awesome. Our life preserver is going to be serving us well. Mm. But if a couple decades goes by, that life preserver is going to be waterlogged. It's mm. actually going to be a weight pulling us down. But if in our mind we're still attached to our story that says, this life preserver helped save my life when the shimp went down, therefore it's still saving my life, we can be holding on to the anchor while thinking it's a buoyant uh, force in our Mm -hmm. life. And we start to wonder, why is there friction? You Mm -hmm. know, why am I not happy? Why are things not working well? I would dare say the things are fine. But what we're holding on to is limiting us, mm. in my delusional opinion. <laughs> so does it get does it get harder as you get older to drop this identity? So I could imagine it's quite easy when you're three years old to just realize you you know you're getting a bit older. But you know when you're hitting your twenties, thirties, forties, and you got a career and you're, you're slapping on all this extra identity, does it get harder to mm. to drop? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I won't pretend that I know. But if I was pretending to pretend like I knew, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of think it's always hard. Um, and maybe as we go, we're, we're digging deeper. Therefore, it's getting harder because it means we're just peeling more, peeling away more of who we're not. So, you know, I do know when. When we take on a hell of a lot of responsibilities, like, welcome to adult life, it's Mm -hmm. most of us, it's very easy to fall into fear-based thinking, where we start to take life very seriously. So, I don't have any kids, uh, but if I did, I would imagine, like, okay, I've got kids to support, got the mortgage, I've got two cars, two and a half dogs, Mm -hmm. And, and all of that to support, and that's so easy to take seriously. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to be afraid of what would happen to all of this and these people 
if if I fail to provide for them. So who I am as a provider, who I am as a father. So I could imagine it would be very threatening to peel those layers away. Um, so I think in a in a way, the increased responsibilities of adulthood that tend to create a fear-based thinking and therefore we take things very seriously, that could make it certainly more challenging to let go of that which is no longer serving us. I think, yeah, maybe earlier on, it's we've got these clear uh, milestones. We're progressing through the grades and then we go to college and then we hit our job. But maybe it's that sort of that 40 year stretch in the middle where we're not, there's no major milestones. Maybe that's the, uh, yeah. where it's tougher. So one other thing I want to dive into was the uh, looking for happiness where it is, not where it isn't. So there was another undercover undercover message, yeah? Yeah, for sure. We, uh, you know, ha- where happiness truly is, is obviously in money. Uh, you know, money, can't, <laughs> m- money can't buy happiness, but a lot of money can definitely buy happiness. <laughs> you know, right. That's good, yeah. I, I think it's hilarious in the pursuit of happiness we're looking for happiness where it's not. And, and I know we all intellectually know happiness isn't found in money. It's not found in our status. But actions speak freaking louder than words. A lot of our actions are oriented around or orientated, as my beautiful girlfriend would say. Uh, it's oriented around looking for happiness in these statuses and material possessions and money, acquiring acquiring things that we're not, that pretty soon we're just going to self-identify and think we are those things. Uh, and it'll be scary to let those things go because it means we're afraid that we're dying. Um, yeah, it... And to me, happiness is found in what we are, who we are, not what we do, not what we have, not our status. And and I think sometimes we need this splash of cold water in the face to do a pattern interrupt. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're reminded, you know, it's like, oh, JP, I know you know that happiness isn't found in money and status and you are looking for it there. I know you know it's not there, but your actions are orienting around you looking for it there. Mm. And and I, I need those reminders. I really do. And therefore, I project that onto other people and think other people need those reminders. But I think when we can become less disconnected from ourselves as we value possessions and essentially devalue ourselves mm. – we become more connected with the source of happiness, which is like who and what we are. Mm. Um, I do believe that connection is what creates genuine happiness, not gratification, but genuine Mm. happiness and fulfillment. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we gotta be a little bit present with ourselves to have that connection. And it's easy to say, and yeah. it's certainly a, a sloppy, clumsy journey at best to embody a connection with ourselves. Yeah, so you say happiness is found in who we are and connection. I'm still a bit confused, like, who we, like, who are we? So is it, yeah, yeah mm. that's a deep one for you, JP, but who, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, you know, I, I made a video one time. It's a sincere video, not a comedy one called um what the hell is it called um 
finding myself when I don't know who I am. <laughs> so, you know, being being ourselves, I think, is very different than knowing who we are. I think knowing who we are is like a mental uh, game. It's like, okay, what story can I have about myself? And it's like, well, the story isn't me. So right away, the story about me is not actually connecting me to me. It's maybe a force of disconnection. So I, the the first off, I, I definitely don't know the answer to this question. <laughs> so I'm kind of perpetuating a pretending as though I do know the answer. Uh, the I think the closest my words can get to verbalizing who we are is feel your feelings. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I think our feelings are much closer to who we really are than thoughts and words. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, feelings are a very sophisticated language. It's so wise that our thoughts and our words can't comprehend it. Uh, a guy I've, uh, I think is pretty cool, a uh, guy named Carl Jung, he's a Swiss psychiatrist, died in 1963, so he's been dead a long time, which should add some kind of implied credibility to his work <laughs> and therefore what I'm about to say. But Carl Jung has said, feelings are the language of our soul. And yeah, who is that true? I don't know. He said it. Yeah. But if we pretend like our, our soul, whatever that is, is like, sort of kind of who we are, then it maybe implies connecting to our feelings and feeling our freaking feelings, our body sensations and our emotions yeah. is the experience of actually being our freaking selves. Mm. And it's like, what if the greatest trick we've ever played on ourselves is there we are being ourselves and we don't know it because we're busy looking for uh, the sense of I need to know who I am. It's like we're disconnecting from the wise language of feelings that connect us to who we are, and we're looking for more of a, a dumbed-down language of thinking. Let me define mm. it so I can know who I am. Yeah. So anyway, I think feeling our freaking feelings is uh, who we are. Our yeah. feelings. Yeah, love it. So um, you mentioned Carl Young. Is there like we're obviously a, a podcast that reviews books? Is there any books that have had a huge impact on you on your life? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, first off, I hate Carl Jung books. This <laughs> stuff, like, man, I like to read other people's writing about his work, but like his yeah. stuff was written in such a stupid academic <laughs> way. Like, it's not meant yeah. for people; it's meant for doctors. Don't but uh, so the I would say the first book and the, the most impactful book on me is called Conversations with God mm. by Neil Donald Walsh, uh, book one. Have you guys heard of it or read yeah, it? Yeah, I've read it. I haven't read it. You yeah. read it. Phenomenal. Yeah, nice. loved it. Yeah, Audio book. I, I read that. I'm sorry, say again. Audio book. I went for with that. It was, uh, yeah, it felt like God was speaking to me through <laughs> the audio book version. <laughs> I was right into it. I love it. Yeah, that book was so impactful to me. And then, you know, I think Eckhart Tolle's work, The Power of Now and A New Earth, <laughs> have been certainly um, – ah, that's, those exact books are held up on your end. I love it. Yeah. You know, those books have definitely been um, vertebrae in the, the backbone of mm. um, my development. And then there's an, uh, an author named James Hollis – and he's a a Jung, a Carl Jung trained uh, psychiatrist, 
And his work is just amazing. Like, first off, his messages are awesome. Yeah. Love them. Very deep. Not like superficial, like cheerleading, like positive thinking and go create the reality you want. It's it's deeper than that. It's like F the reality you want. Let's surrender to the reality that wants to live through you. It's like so ungratifying to the human ego. And that's why I love his work. Uh, it's very meaningful. So uh, he's got a number of books. One of them is called uh, uh, What Matters Most. Uh, another one is called Finding Meaning in the Second Half of Life. Uh, his, but yeah, and second of all, he's a beautiful writer. It's like he, it's like so poetic how he writes. So the messenger is delivering. Uh, it's a be- beautifully crafted messenger delivering an amazing message, in my opinion. Nice. We we sort of started out with business books, and we we started to, to branch out into different categories, and that's why we we tried out the uh, the untethered soul. We tried out the power of now. Maybe a bit above my head at, at this point, but I'll, that's something, well, to, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> something to aspire to maybe one and day. How, how was the Untethered Soul for you guys? I, I couldn't get into that one. Mm. Uh, I liked bits of it. I definitely liked bits of it. There were some bits that are, were uh, way beyond me, and I, I thought maybe that was just because I'm not uh, not ultra-spiritual enough yet. But maybe, <laughs> maybe in 10 years. I really liked the analogy in it of how it, it relates life to be like your lucid dreaming kind of thing and you can kind of wake up within your life and then really start to um, I don't know, make make your own decisions and I don't know, mm. take control. I don't know. Mm. There were just some parts that I thought were phenomenal and some parts would obviously just, you know, maybe we're not at that level yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one, I appreciate your guys' feedback on your experience of that book. And in my delusional opinion... It wouldn't be like, well, you're not at that level yet. It's like, yeah, he's speaking in a way that's different than mm. uh, what your hearts and minds crave. Uh, I, I, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. I used to read books nonstop. Kind of like almost a reading addiction, mm. which I guess in the spectrum of addictions, it's not the worst one to have. But I found I was uh, really, really... Um, compromising myself and disrespecting myself when I was reading where I would value the author's opinion more than my own. Mm-hmm. And I, like, if I didn't get something, it's like, I would in a sense shame myself and just, well, I guess I'm not ready to hear that or I'm not developed enough to hear it. Uh, rather than realizing like, that's a human being that wrote that book who also shits out of his asshole, just <laughs> yeah. like I do. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, now, now when I read, which honestly is not often, I like to have the mindset of entertaining what the author's opinion is. Like, even if the author's coming from, like, this just fairy tale delusional position of authority that he or she needs to put themselves in because they're just wounded in their ego and therefore they're desperately seeking a sense of significance, I, I, I don't take their opinion as the truth Mm. or how it is. I take it as one human's opinion that wrote a book and I like to compare it to mine. And sometimes like I'll, sometimes I'll agree. Sometimes I'll disagree. Sometimes I'll form like a new opinion, like my opinion plus their opinion equals, well, here's this new thing I've never thought of. And so, yeah, I'm all about, you know, power to the people. Read in a way that empowers you, not disempowers you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice, I like it. I reckon that was fantastic. We've got to um, 
yeah, the, we could have spoke for hours, but uh, we'll, we'll respect it and leave it at that. And I guess my cool. the, just the final thing is, where can people find you? Where can they find your book? Where can they check out some more of your stuff? Yeah, you know, the best place to find me is uh, social media. Uh, all of my handles are Awaken with JP. You're mm-hmm. very active on Facebook and YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my book is also available on Amazon and uh, bookstores. So kind of like the usual places mm-hmm. is a good place to either get that or avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Man, first off, I really appreciate you guys for inviting me to be a part of your wonderful offering to the world. I I love talking with you guys. I realize this conversation's been uh, you know, 90% JP talking. Uh, so please forgive my arrogance and <laughs> dominate. But uh, yeah, I think you guys are awesome. And I, I, it's very obvious that you guys are students of life, curious students of life. So I'd just like to say thank you for inviting me onto your platform. And I'd like to encourage you guys to keep doing what you're doing and let what you're doing change uh, when change is called <laughs> for. It. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't intend that to just like lob one up yeah. for you to just uh, give us praise, but yeah. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll no, take no, it. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon that was our first podcast slash coaching session. Well, this is actually an intervention for you guys. Your families had contacted me. So, oh, yeah. these guys, yeah, the Adams, they, they need some help. <laughs> Spot on. I'm just trying to earn my money. Your family's paying. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. Fantastic, right. JP. Thanks so much. Awake with JP. Yeah, yeah, check it out. We loved it. Thanks so much. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> Appreciate you. Thanks, See ya. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that interview. We have a special offer for all our listeners. So we've got the notes that we use as our summary of the book and they form the structure of our conversation when we do our book review episodes. And you guys can check them out. Yeah, so every book we've ever done, including Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Four Hour Work Week, Start With Why, Lean Startup, all the juggernauts. We have all the lessons summarized in a real quick read. Yeah, I didn't see personally. Maybe I'm a bit biased, but it's good stuff. Good stuff. So if you head to whatyouwillearn.com slash notes, um, there's a link there uh, and you can get all our notes. And yeah, just check it out whenever there's some good stuff.